0: Hi everybody and welcome back to part two of the B2B Nav podcast in relation to CGI, visual effects and all things 3D. Um, You'll see we're wearing the same clothes, we haven't left the building. So uh, joined again by Ollie and Paul, if you've listened to part one, is our visual effects and CGI specialist here at BDB. So we'll pick up exactly where we left off if that's alright with you both um, and crack on into the conversation. So in part one we spoke, spoke a lot about the process, the role it can play in B2B. Now we're going to get into the uh, the, the detail a bit more, I guess, on some of, some of the specific topics. So we talked through the process at length earlier and we touched on kind of rendering as this kind of uh, end bit of the process, let's call it. And from an agency perspective, there's an awful lot of investment in kit and software um, that you need to be able to either render or you put it out to what's called a render farm, effectively. Um, if you haven't got the in-house capabilities to render yourself, what is a render farm,
1: Paul? A um, render farm is is an online... Company or just a company? Um, I've worked across from render farms in the past. Mm-hmm. That they've invested in hundreds of machines, mm-hmm. all at different capabilities. They've invested in the software for all of these machines, and you send them a file, and they effectively create your images. Yeah, rendering render is basically creating of an image it's like painting the final picture
2: yeah so when you're in the software <coughs> effectively you can see a version of what you're working on obviously but it's not that final version is it you can't see no. how the lighting bounces off everything no. until you've actually rendered it out no. but
0: i think that's an important point as well because throughout the process you'll output various renders won't you throughout yeah. kind of this, this stage development of um we'll stick with virtual visitor for the ease of it the environments that we're developing um and you can do low quality renders, very high quality renders, but that final render won't really be executed until right at the right yeah. of death, and that's the crisp kind of output. Now, there's obviously a time associated mm-hmm. with that, which again, for me, is a complete unknown until you joined us in the building of how long these things take to output, because I think everything takes about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it doesn't, as it turns out, in rendering. Mm-hmm. Now, you also have to render video and normal motion work, don't you, but not to the same load and I guess what well, the load it puts on the system and in terms of the actual length it takes to do it so can you talk us through
1: how it works with the frames and the render process yeah so <coughs> excuse me sorry um the the best way to describe it is if um I saw something the other day and it, it, I'll use it today so if you think that um a 90 minute movement 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 90 minute movie with it is um based up of 90 60 minute sec- uh, you know
2: seconds mm-hmm. 60 seconds sorry I'll do some math for you as we go so a 90 minute movie right. is so yeah, so, so you 5,400 seconds so cool. you've got well the, the way to
1: sorry what I'm trying to explain is that a 90 minute movie mm-hmm. is made made up of 90 60 seconds yep yeah. yep yeah. for each each 60 seconds is made up of one one second of twenty four frames if that makes sense so twenty four frames so, per second yeah. so twenty four frames per second mm-hmm. sixty seconds a minute ninety minutes
2: so a frame is effectively for anyone that really doesn't know is basically a still image and you we tie twenty four of them together to make one second video footage and you tie one hundred and twenty nine thousand six hundred of them together to make a 90 minute movie yes
1: so <laughs> so basically an image so with with with, with an animation you're creating a lot of still images yeah now from a motion point of view these these aren't so much broken down but from a cg point of view you have to render each individual frame
0: and the number of frames per second the higher the frames per second the smoother the graphics in a way yeah just in terms of so we see it with cameras don't we but all those other aspects of life but because what would Wallace and Gromit, for those that don't know, sorry, but you have to Google it, but in the sense of, is that like ridiculously. Uh,
1: well, yeah, so. I know that's different because it's clay modelling. Yeah, so... but it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's the same principle, <clears throat> isn't it? That's to monster's Inc.? But if you think, if you think um, that for, for Wallace and Gromit fragments sake, they move it f- fraction of a millimetre, take a shot, yeah. fraction of a millimetre, take a shot. That's effectively what we're doing. Yeah. With... That's, that's how I understood it in my own simple mind, <throat>
2: yeah. but you would explained it to me originally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so a, a typical film will have 24, 25 frames per second. Um, yeah. I think some things these days are shot at 60 frames per second, but I'm presuming animation they do at 24. Um,
1: it depends because, again, it's, it's how smooth you want it to look. Mm-hmm. It's how much time you've got left in, in before you've got to deliver as well. That's a good, really good point. A really good point. Because I, I
2: think that this is one of the points, I don't know about you, but I think it's certainly before Paul started, is that we hadn't really uh, appreciated how much of a time-consuming effort it was to actually output a a final render of something.
0: No, but I think so much of what we do, uh, maybe with the exception of of video, as in motion video, once we've we've done it, we've done it. (laughs) We deliver that proposal, we deliver that report, we deliver that written piece of work, we deliver that ad, uh, whatever it may be, the media plan. So we don't don't kind of create it and then have to wait. But it's just so different in what you do, isn't it? Because you can create it all. It's crafted, it's there, but it's not output yet, which can take a long time it depends depends. I
2: thought of it I found a great which I think really helps us to bring it to life so the movie Monsters University uh, required 100 million CPU hours to complete to render that which is where we need a render farm because if we didn't have a render farm and you just had one computer rendering that it would have apparently taken 10,000 years Hmm. for Mm -hmm. a single computer to make that film
1: yeah that's 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 the. I mean I suppose using what you said there the closest thing that the rendering process is is, is like it's like baking a cake
0: yeah
1: Um, all the ingredients that's the modelling the mood boarding it's all all there in the bowl once you put it all in Mm -hmm. it's all there in the bowl but it's not a cake is it Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is the fact you've still got to put it into the oven and wait for it to make the cake so to speak and then you've got the the post production or the icing and that sort of thing yeah but yeah um, with well the the funny thing about um, about the whole Pixar story is that they, when they rendered Toy Story, it was I, I'm, I'm I'm quoting figures that I'm not 100% sure of, but say say it was 11 hours per frame. Blue. When they first did that, and then you'd think, well, they've got better computers since. Yes. That. But I think they were saying that on Monsters University, it was close to 18 hours per frame, and that's the thing is because because computers are getting faster and everything as well, people are putting more into them. Mm-hmm. But also that's linked again first from an agency <coughs> perspective and an investment perspective. If you're
0: seriously thinking about CGI as something you want to offer, and I can I can totally understand from an agency perspective why quite often it's left as an external, mm. we go to it when we need it resource, because um, it, it's the, the uh, investment in infrastructure and kit, let alone uh, team members and talent, as we say, is, is so considerable. Plus you've got to appreciate if you're rendering yourself, it's burning that machine out. So at some point you're going to need another or uh, you know something else to to, to complement that as well so it's it's not an inconsiderable investment to actually even be able to offer this as a service line before um you know you're reaping any fees for it i guess so
2: and then in terms of actually getting something done by a deadline mm. that's the other big repercussion because it's not just let's work a bit harder that machine has got a limited amount of, of frames it can render so if you've got a tight deadline yep. it really needs to be considered. Of, do we have enough time for that machine to do it? Is it going we, to be? We also three know days as well, though, don't
0: we? When you're doing timelines with clients, and again, it's just part of building this into the process, and it's again something we've, we've learned now. But deadlines—you you, set—you set your timeline. You know, you know, you're going to be up against it. You could have a 12-week project. You still know you're going to be up against it at the la- at the death because of client delays, our delays, changes in scope, movements, whatever it may be. But as you say, with this, you've got the added complexity, but you still need to incorporate yeah. a number of days or there's hours. so many work, other maybe. things can be
2: flexible. Yeah. Do we need to deliver something a bit faster that's like a website? We Okay, let's throw another developer at it or work through the night if we have to. Yeah. This The, the rendering process, we can't really do that much outside of, I guess, sending it to a phone yeah. to get it done faster.
0: And also, yeah. it's pretty reliable, but it can fall over, can't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Rendering
1: uh, well, process. <laughs> well, I think I think there's, there's a lot of good videos out there if you go and look at um, where all these big movie companies have had anomalies in the coding when they've sent to render mm-hmm. and you've got like eyes popping out of sockets, and and, <laughs> like that. and th- these are all things that that can happen because um i'm sure there's studio max users out there that
2: mm-hmm.
1: will understand that one day you'll do something and it works fine like this morning i was building an island so to speak built it extruded it up it worked fine mm-hmm. added a little s- swimming pool so to speak in the ground, a little cutout, wouldn't extrude it up. No reason why. Delete it all, rebuild it exactly the same way, extrude it up, fine. And it, so it's, it's, it's there is that, but in terms in terms of the rendering probably the the scariest moment from my point of view because mm-hmm. I'm, well, well one I'm losing control. Yeah, I'm not in total control of everything, and that that's quite scary to me anyway. Mm-hmm. But also, like you say, it's usually when you get to the render time. Yeah, that's it. There's, there's no, yeah. there's no way this can fail. You've got, you've got been, been to, there a few times, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, you've, you've, it's got to work. Yeah. So you, you're constantly monitoring it um, and constantly checking it. And three o'clock in the morning, you wake up. And, oh no, check. Yeah, no, it's working. That's fine. And that's that's that that's the scariest moment because mm-hmm. if you if you're at render time, which again, render the reason we're, we're hoping to negate that as much as possible because that's why the process is in place mm-hmm. the whole process is in place to make sure that when we get to render point well yeah we're, we're, we're happy that you've seen this yeah because yeah. what we'll do with, with a lot of stuff is send previous if it's animation we'll send previous animations or previous animation pre-visualization animation yeah it's it's just it's the bare bones it's not lit it's not textured properly yeah. it's just the camera movement so to speak okay so a quick question in relation to rendering so
0: one of the problems not problems one of the things we encountered when we started charging for cgi work was you charge for render time so obviously when we're building quotes and budgets and so on for jobs typically we have an hourly rate a number of hours and some time associated with that which builds our overall um cost for that job as a line item, if I was a client and saw rend- rendering a number of hours next to it or days as it may be in some cases, and, and not in considerable cost, because a lot of agencies are, are charging a full hourly rate for kind of that render time as well. What's your, I guess, response or take on that or experience with that?
1: Um, I think yeah, it, it's it's an essential part of the process. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not done, they don't, the client doesn't get the, the final output, but also it, mm-hmm. um it, it's, I suppose it's like... Like I say... If you buy a car... You you, you pay for... Your wheels... Your mm-hmm. tyres... Yeah... And... We're paying for a piece of kit... That's allowing this... Mm-hmm. This process to happen... Yeah... So... Other than that... You'd have to render it... On your local machine... Which then means that... You can't work... Yeah... As effectively... Because obviously it takes up... All the processing power... Yeah. So... Yeah...
2: It should definitely be a case... I think that... And when we talk about... Like... The computer that we have... Internally to... To render... It, it's not the case of going out and buying a thousand pound, a thousand euro a computer. It, it's something that costs closer to ten thousand, mm-hmm. and the whole time we're using it, as we mentioned previously, possibly in the previous episode, you're burning it out. That's mm-hmm. not going to last forever. You're you're using some incredibly expensive hardware at full tilt for a, for a continuous stretch of the time. On top of that, I don't know the exact number, but I believe the power consumption to run it at that is actually fairly considerable. Yeah. So you, it's, uh, if you leave a computer on idle, even if it's a power, powerful computer, it doesn't use that much power. But when it's running at full speed, it draws an awful lot more power, which is expensive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and like you say, these, these machines don't get... don't. If, if, if it's a busy, busy end and you've got three or four projects to deliver, these machines don't get time off. If it's, mm-hmm. it's, you don't... You switch them off and switch them on to re- regenerate them, mm-hmm. I suppose, like you do most PCs. And machines. the
0: same mentality, I guess, around the render farms, like we touched on earlier, if you didn't have the capabilities to render in-house, which would be sort of semi-unusual, maybe, if you're trying to take CGI seriously as a business. But if you didn't, you'd be paying for that external cost of the render mm-hmm. farm, which you'd therefore be charging on and probably marking up to a client either way.
2: So yeah. one so, way to, or the other. It's so a render farm, obviously, they've got 40-odd PCs tied together, obviously many hundreds more in, in if it's a big farm. But um, like you say, there's an external cost associated with that. So mm-hmm. at the moment, we use effectively a mix. Um, typically, render everything we can internally, don't we, Paul? But mm-hmm. if it's something big, time-consuming, or there's a really tight deadline, those render farms can can come in handy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's it. If, if, if we've got the time, we render it in-house. If we've not got the time, then we... The external but the approach. other thing is I guess it's
2: demand of projects mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's a limited resource just on the point of charge of it. it's a limited resource that only one project can effectively use it at a time yeah so you know by by using it for one client we're, we're denying that resource and that money making ability from many other clients as well
0: yeah
1: okay cool
0: thanks for the clarification Um, I guess picking up some final points I might be jumping around a little bit here but in the sense of uh, one of the things again we've uh, almost learned the hard way but we've been learning as we go was in relation to ownership I guess like intellectual property around um, CGI and let's say models and assets and the various models that are developed Um, obviously when I think in episode one we spoke around um Pre-built models mm-hmm. uh, and existing models and sites like TurboSquid and I'm sure there's many more that you could, you could list off. Where you can go on, you can type in modern building; it'll give you a pre-built model uh, compatible with certain types of software that you can obviously use. Um, if that if that pre-built model is then used within a project, who who owns that? I know the answer because I've done a lot of research into it now. But I mean, from, from your perspective, how does it how does it work? as, that guess, the the, the in, creator?
1: In terms, well, from from a creator's point of view, it's usually it's usually specified when you went before the jobs actually started you know you you get the you get the video mm-hmm. you get the end product mm-hmm. but that's we've built that that's mm-hmm. our model mm-hmm. you but I suppose I suppose it's a lot like um like, like again going back to the car analogies you, you, you can lease a car mm-hmm. or you can buy a car uh, that the company that built the car doesn't own the car yeah so it is, it's such a gray area mm-hmm. that um I think it does need to be stated at the start. Look, if yeah. you want complete ownership of this, this model, this entity, so just be this digital entity, mm-hmm. then that's fine, but there is a cost.
0: I guess a couple of quick points to finish off. One of them would be in relation to the naysayers or doubters around CGI as an application within B2B. So I think um, when we spoke to clients, when we spoke to prospects about CGI and the use of it, and there's often a lot of pushback because um, a lot of our clients' products are centered around a more sensorial experience, so more like the touch, taste, smell, picking things up, feeling the weight of things, the thickness, the transparency of films as an example, all sorts of various tangible explanations. How, how do you combat that as a question for when you're saying, well, CGI could be an option and they obviously instantly dismiss
2: it because they don't think it's of relevance for them. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of points there that we've already looked to address with clients to uh, think about solutions that can work hand in hand with CG. So in the case of food, for example, it can be a case of um, sending samples out to accompany what people are going to be seeing uh, virtually. Mm -hmm. But the real thing I'd say is that it's not a a fair comparison. We're not trying to replace your physical objects entirely Mm -hmm. with with CG. We're really trying to uh, fit CG in a place where the the real isn't practical or um, Mm -hmm. isn't even possible in some cases. Mm -hmm. So it might be a more fair comparison to look at uh, CG as a replacement to just showing product photography or brochures or uh videos of, of what your physical equipment might be or your physical premises might look like because you can create something that that people are more free to explore to look around whether that's a 3d model on a computer that can be spun around whether that's um something that can be placed by putting your phone in a room and, and having an augmented reality model of a giant piece of equipment appear that obviously you couldn't take with you if you're visi- visiting a customer you couldn't uh practically take to an event with you particularly not when we're thinking about sustainability and yeah. and trying to look after the environment um uh, and then there's also things like uh training and things like that that you can do via vr so create a, a 3d world that can be encompassed within a vr headset for training purposes where it, it wouldn't be uh practical or even safe to put a real person in in that uh, kind of training scenario so i think Paulie raised a point earlier about something plants <laughs>
1: yeah, no no it's it, using the vr as um as an example there as well it is it's it's used for a lot in football there's mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a one company out there at the moment that are doing a lot of lot of work that way um but it's also which again um if you think you're coming back from an injury mm-hmm. um there's non-contact but you can still get your muscles get those uh, muscle repetition going back in mm-hmm. um but it's also been really useful for the the academies and people like that training um, in terms of, they can put them in situations and say, say right, like um, Mo Salah on 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 the wing. He got the ball. How did he see? Yeah, where well, was the path of vision? Yeah. So How, to speak. What, a what, this maybe, is yeah. this is his position. What did he see? Yeah. They sit the heads on, and they can look around and see the exact positions of where the other people are. And suddenly they can sort they can absorb that information that would would have had to go through his head. Now again training their head. But
0: there's also It's actually seeing perspectives that you can't even see in the real no. world, I guess, isn't it? But I think it'd be interesting because I think the pan the pandemic has obviously rapidly accelerated digital transformation, but it's also made the world that bit smaller again. Hmm. So in the sense of as Oliver said, if you can't get kit to somebody or you can't showcase products and services like you would have loved to previously it shows. Then CGI is a great way to bring experiences, products, and services to life, which actually is increasing your reach, arguably yeah. in a way, uh, rather than requiring on somebody to be physically in the in the company of the of the assets in discussion.
1: Well, you've also got, like I said, three D printing. That's yeah, that's growing as an industry. Um, uh, more and more people are actually printing their own um, pieces of kit. Um, mechanical stuff and there's, there's a, mm-hmm. someone's actually adapted the 3d printer technology to be building concrete houses in in countries that mm-hmm. couldn't really build concrete houses so it's it's actually these these people are building these models mm-hmm. sending them out they've got a, a concrete 3d printer so to speak and
2: yeah creating these houses I don't know if we're there yet genuinely don't have a clue uh, but I can imagine we'll get to a point where um, you know, you could be in a, a remote location, for example, and something breaks, and, and somebody sends you that file for a replacement part. And you don't have to worry about yeah, yeah. about you know critical downtime in a plant or whatever it might be because you managed to replace that part.
1: I'm, 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 I don't know whether it was an episode of Big Bang Theory, <laughs> <It could've, laughs> could quite possibly have been, but I'm sure that they, they, nice. they've got a 3D <laughs> printer on the International Space Station for that specific thing.
0: Yeah, you can it's, you can imagine it though. I guess I, I guess that ties into what was going to be my final question for this one, given we've gone over two parts the future of cgi the future of visual effects i know we can go like hollywood with this or more closer to home in a b2b kind of marcoms environment but it's so good already and i know if, over the years it's got better and better and better i know you're an avid fan and a follower of this kind of stuff but it, it, can it get much better
1: if my, i am an avid fan yeah. avid fan sorry um, of cgi but it's got to be used properly yeah. it's got okay. to be done for the right reasons mm-hmm. That's that's the thing, is, is the fact that there's there's a lot of stuff um that c- can get churned out, but it's it's not not for mm-hmm. the reason that well we can't physically do that or we can't yeah. not do that. The the beauty of things like virtual visitor is the fact that you're giving clients full control of of not just the environment, you know, we're going to Rotterdam this year, we're going to Barcelona next year, we're going yeah. to, they can go to an international space station mm-hmm. if they want. Yeah. They can go underwater if they want yeah and that's that's what that's where it becomes a bigger selling point in my opinion mm-hmm. in, in terms of you know again like i said before what where do you want to go what do you want to do
2: Yeah, i think matt raised that point as well when it comes to getting the brief from the client you've got to challenge why we're doing it and i think the easiest example at least from my point of view is the old uh, mobile app i don't think it's happening so much anymore oh, yeah, but like five fire. years ago everybody just wanted an app for no reason and if you don't have a good reason for doing something and delivering a great customer experience alone can be a great reason it doesn't need to be just because you you know you're trying to get x number of leads or whatever it might be um but if you don't have a good reason for doing something you know i think it's beyond 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 (laughs) beyond
0: ego or it being cool or looking good and that's one of the questions that I was going to mention earlier, uh, and we won't finish on this now, but in terms of sometimes the design process can get ahead of it, you actually start losing the user experience or degrading that visitor experience from virtual visitor's perspective. So I think uh, the, the purpose and the objective behind it is critical, but also very excited to see where it goes with mm. this kind of limitless thinking and the new applications of where you are seeing it adding value ac- across the globe.
1: Well, things don't have to be linear. That's the, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And yeah. You, you, like I say, if you... from from a virtual visitor point of view if you want to come to a reception that is a reception but then you want your meeting rooms to be underwater why not go for it
0: love it (laughs) plenty of potential lots of exciting opportunities to come thanks so much for joining us Paul really interesting really interesting insights there in uh, what's a new world for us and hopefully shed some light for some of our uh, listeners and viewers there um, of how CGI could play a part in your B2B uh, Marcom strategy for 2020 on and beyond uh, thanks, Ollie. Uh, as I always close off, feel free to check out our knowledge www rather I can say it b two bknowledgecom um, Our ungated content hub help helping our clients, prospects, and contacts navigate the ever evolving B two B marketing landscape. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, bye. Thank you. Thank you.